Morning, church. How's everybody doing today? Good. I, uh, we usually try to um, let you know folks that are going on mission trips. Jeff and Stephanie Bess are going on a mission trip this Thursday. I don't see them here today. Would you please remember them in your prayers as they're going to Kenya, Africa? Uh, so please remember Jeff and Stephanie Bess. Also remember that this next Saturday you need to change your clocks. You may hear that several times today. You need to spring forward next Saturday, or if you think you're coming to worship at 9, we'd love to have you for Bible class at 10. <laughs> so next Sunday is usually our highest um, attended Bible class day, but we'd love to have you for worship, so just change your clocks um, on, uh, on Saturday night. Wasn't this last week beautiful when it was snowing up here? I came over here and took a picture of our water garden with all the beautiful snow, just big flakes. It was just... It was gorgeous, wasn't it? It reminded me of, you know, if, <clears throat> if you're not used to the snow, which I am, I grew up in western Oklahoma, th- this, this brought back some, some good memories. If, if you live in east Texas, like we do, some folks are like, just make it go away. But uh, it, was, it was just a gorgeous snow. I know it messed up some schools and all those things, but um, the Lord's glory and His creation was pretty awesome, so... I want to talk to you today about expiration dates. Everything I ate for breakfast today had an expiration date. In fact, I went on, um, I googled things that have expiration dates. So here's eight things you should not use past their expiration date. Are you ready? You probably know these. Number one, mixed greens and bagged salads. Not ever a problem at my house. Fresh berries, don't have those. Deli meat. Eggs, ground meat, soft cheeses, alfalfa sprouts, not a problem at my house, and raw chicken. You should not eat those things past their expiration date. But you know, food's not the only thing that has an expiration date. There's some other things like cleaning products. I'm I'm sure you know that. Some of those you need to dispose of properly. Batteries have an expiration date. Just try to use those past that time. Paint does. Motor oil does. Bath body beauty supplies Just check the back of those things just to let you know. Prescription drugs and over-the-counter drugs. Furniture has an expiration date, and some of y'all probably need to get rid of some of yours. (laughs) Just just saying. Electronics have an expiration date, and some of y'all need a new mattress. Or at least flip it. You know, do, do something with that expiration date on that. You, you may be one of those people that just ignores expiration dates. Doesn't matter what the date on the eggs is, you're going to eat those eggs. Doesn't matter if the milk's two weeks past that expiration date. It doesn't matter what's growing on the cheese in the fridge. I mean, they use that for um, penicillin, right? So you're like, it's good for my body. Some of y'all just ignore expiration dates. So um, that's why you still have rotary dial phones. I read this, nothing and nobody lasts forever. Nothing and nobody lasts forever. I'm sure you know humans have an expiration date. In fact, depending on where you look, um, 78.7 years. If you live past that time, you're doing good for living past your expiration date. And a lot of people do. But the average human life is 78.7 years. Say it any way you want. You've got an expiration date. You are going to die. You may not want to talk about that. That may not be something comfortable for you to think about. But let me say it this way. When you die, your journey continues. 
Oh, your body may expire, your physical body may expire, but your journey continues. So I want to talk to you about expiration dates and a journey because we've been in the book of Acts and the book of Acts is all about a journey. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus says you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you'll be my witnesses. And the journey started in Jerusalem. God exploded on the scene. You'll receive power. You'll receive dynamite. And God explodes on the scene and then the journey continues into Judea and Samaria and then the journey continues to the ends of the earth. Paul and his friends take not one, not two, but three missionary journeys because the gospel is always on the move. The gospel is always on the go. And so as you read through the book of Acts, you see how God empowers His followers. And He gives them boldness and courage and they're not afraid of anyone or anybody. And they take that gospel and the gospel is constantly on the move. So in our text today, what we're going to see is Paul's farewell journey as it begins. You've seen musical groups say, this is our farewell journey. I never understood why the Eagles had farewell one. You you can't have a farewell one. It's either farewell or not. That just tells me you're going to have a farewell two. And I'm ready for the Eagles to have a farewell two, aren't you? Wouldn't it be great? You see athletes that will announce before the season, say, hey, this is my last year and this is my farewell journey. And sometimes all the venues that they go to will celebrate with them as they let everybody know this is my farewell journey. Today we're going to see Paul beginning his farewell journey. He's a man on a mission. He's a man on a journey. Almost as if nothing's going to stop him on his journey. So let's read in Acts chapter 20 and see what's going on. When the uproar had ended, we just left Ephesus. There was a riot. There was an uproar. Paul sent for the disciples and after encouraging them, he said goodbye. Because he's on the move. His journey's starting. He said goodbye and set out for Macedonia. He traveled through that area speaking many words of encouragement to the people. And finally arrived in Greece where he stayed three months. Because the Jews made a plot against him, just as he was about to sail for Syria, he decided to go back to Macedonia. So, his farewell journey has begun. Acts 20 is all about farewell. So, here's a farewell journey that started. He's going to give us a brief description of a farewell worship. Now, what's interesting to me is we don't have very many encounters of what a worship in the first century looked like. Oh, we know they would worship. And we know they would sing, but we don't know the order of worship. We don't really know the time of worship. We don't really know any of the specifics of worship. But look what Paul says on the first day of the week. They met on the first day of the week. Because Jesus came up out of the grave and was resurrected on the first day of the week. And the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, when God exploded on the scene and the church was established, was the first day of the week, and it became known as the Lord's Day. And that's why we gather on the first day of the week. On the first day of the week, we came together to break bread. That's a terminology that sometimes refers to a meal, but oftentimes refers to communion. They would gather to partake of communion. And if you've read any church history whatsoever, they didn't gather for the preaching, they didn't gather for the singing. The main event, if you will, was communion. To remember on the first day of the week, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And they gathered on the first day of the week, and they came together to break bread. And Paul spoke to the people because he intended to leave the next day because he's on a journey. He's on a mission. He's heading somewhere. This is his farewell journey. There were many lamps in the upstairs room where we were meeting. I guess because it's late at night. This is is Sunday. This isn't the Sabbath. So more than likely, they've been working all day. 
And so they're worshiping at night. So after a hard day's work, there's some lamps going on and there's some fumes going on. And those seem to be affecting some people. Because seated in a window was a young man named Eutychus who was sinking into a deep sleep as Paul talked on and on. You know, I I don't really appreciate that Paul was talking until midnight. And he's talking on and on like it's his fault. That Eutychus falls asleep and falls out of the window and falls to his death. And worship stops. And Paul goes down to Eutychus, puts his arms around him and says, don't be alarmed, he's alive. And then he went upstairs again and broke bread and ate. And after talking, so he talked till daylight. So he talked till midnight, he went on and on, and then he talked till daylight. And then he left, because he's on the move. He's on, he's on a journey. The people took the young man home alive and were greatly comforted. It's kind of This is just a brief thing about worship. We, again, we don't know a whole lot about worship, but maybe you can relate. Have, have, you, have you ever been kind of woozy in worship and nodded off? Anybody relate to that? Anybody ever fallen asleep during... I mean, you know, if you fall asleep, we're going to keep going. We're not stopping worship. We're going to keep going. In fact, have you ever been somewhere where an incident happens in worship and it's like, hey, worship's got to go on. We've got to beat the Baptist to lunch. We're not stopping for anything. I'm serious. I was preaching one time in Enid, Oklahoma, and so when we stood to sing the invitation song, everybody stood up except the guy right over here, and he went down. We kept right on singing. They called the ambulance. We kept right on singing. We went through the announcements as they wheeled him out and took him back in the foyer and loaded him up on the ambulance. We kept right on worshiping. We didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do. I was just a visiting preacher, so I followed the lead of everybody else, and I thought, hey, guess we got to beat those other churches to lunch. Hey, I hope he's okay. Um, closing song will be. But no, right here, we stopped worship because the guy died. And so Paul, just as this worship begins, almost just a few verses. Here's worship in the first century, and then we move on. And, and, and Paul's on his journey. Interesting thing about Eutychus, just a little tidbit of information. His name means fortunate, lucky. Just kind of interesting to me that the fortunate guy falls out of the window and dies. Or maybe he was fortunate that Paul was there to bring him back to life. Well, the journey continues. We went on ahead to the ship and sailed for Asus where we were going to take Paul aboard. He'd made this arrangement because he was going there on foot. When he met us in Asus, he took him, we took him aboard and went to Mytilene. Paul had decided to sail past Ephesus to avoid spending time in the province of Asia because he's in a hurry. Because he's on a journey. He's on a mission. Again, almost as if nothing's going to get in his way. He's on a mission. He wants to get to Jerusalem if possible, by the day of Pentecost. He's missed Passover. Hey, if I can make it to Pentecost, that would be great. For Miletus, Paul sent to Ephesus for the elders of the church. Now, Paul gives us his farewell journey here. We see a farewell worship, and we're fixing to see a farewell message. So he calls the elders, he calls the leaders of the church at Ephesus. And and we're going to kind of just blow through his farewell message here. He doesn't want to go back to Ephesus because the last time he was there, there was a big riot. So he sent for the elders and the elders show up to meet him. When they, the elders arrived, he said to them, and, and he gives us, gives this history. He gives this history. Look, you, you know about me. 
You know how I lived. You know what I came. You know how I served. You know I was tested. You know I have not hesitated to preach. You know I've declared to both the Jews and the Greeks. So he says, look, you, you know me. I spent three years at Ephesus. I stayed at your place longer than I stayed at any other church, any other town. He keeps going. And now, compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem. He keeps telling us, I'm going to Jerusalem. Nobody's getting in my way. I'm going to Jerusalem. I'm on a journey. Not knowing what will happen to me there, I only know that in every city, the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardships are facing me. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of witnessing to the gospel of God's grace. Now, I know that none of you will ever see me again. Why? This is my farewell journey. This is my last message. None of you will ever see my face again. And he gives them this warning. He, he's talking to the leaders of the church. And he says, look, you need to keep watch. And you need to be on your guard. But you need to be shepherds of the Lord's church. Because wolves are going to come in and men are going to arise. So be on your guard and remember. And I commit you to, the, uh, to God. And he gives them this message. And I've not coveted anyone's silver or gold. And he talks about himself a little more. And then they all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. And what grieved them most was the bomb that he dropped. Hey, yeah, by the way, um, you're not ever going to see me again. Now, if somebody dropped that bomb on you, that would get your attention. And you would probably grieve. And you would probably weep. And he says, you'll never see my face again. So that gets their attention. Now, why would he say what he's saying? And why, what's this journey all about? And And why is he wording it this way? Well, let me go back to chapter 20, verse 22. He says, and now compelled, the word is bound, and that's really crucial for the verses I'm fixing to show you in 21. He says, I'm, I'm bound by the Spirit. I'm joined with the Spirit. I'm one with the Spirit. I'm walking in the Spirit. When you walk in the Spirit, you're listening to the Spirit, and you go where the Spirit tells you to go, and the Spirit says, you're heading to Jerusalem. Paul's like, all right, I'm bound by the Spirit, and I'm going to Jerusalem. I don't know what's going to happen to me, but the Spirit, we're one. And then we get to chapter 21, and they leave the next day, because he's on a journey, and they reached Caesarea and stayed in the house of Philip. If you go back to Acts chapter 6, they chose seven men to be deacons. He was one of the seven. After we'd been there a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea, coming over to us. He took Paul's belt. He bound his own hands... And feet with it and said, the Holy Spirit says, in this way, the Jews of Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt, that's Paul, and will hand him over to the Gentiles. When we heard this, we and the people, we pleaded with Paul, don't go to, listen, don't go to Jerusalem. If this is what's going to happen, don't go to Jerusalem. And Paul says, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? Because I'm ready not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. Why? Are you trying to hold me back? Now here's the key. These people weren't going to bind Paul. I understand that they were. The big picture is he's bound by the Spirit. And because he's bound by the Spirit, he gives himself over to this situation, going to Jerusalem. He puts himself in this situation because the Spirit says, this is where you're going. When you're bound by the Spirit... Remember what we said in Acts chapter 1? You'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, He will give you boldness and courage. And it doesn't matter where He leads you. It doesn't matter how you're bound with the Spirit. These people aren't going to bind Him. 
He's bound by the Spirit. And that's why he's able to go on. This isn't good times. This is goodbye. Paul's journey is about to end. Paul's expiration date, he knows, is rapidly approaching. The narrative seems to be picking up faster and faster as he's heading to Jerusalem because he's bound by the Spirit. Now, I, I like this translation. He was drawn there irresistibly by the Holy Spirit. You know, we sing that song, Bind Us Together, Lord. I think that means me and you bind us together as the church family. I also think it means bind us together, Lord, so that I walk by your Spirit, and I do what your Spirit says, and I listen to your Spirit. In fact, Paul's going to write Romans, and he understands what this means. Those who live according to the sinful nature have their minds set on what that nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit, those who are bound by the Spirit, they have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. The sinful nature is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit, if the Spirit of God lives in you. We've been talking about that a lot in Acts. You've heard me say a lot that one of the greatest benefits we receive is God's Spirit living in us. When we become Christ followers, we get His Spirit living in us. So Paul is simply bound by the Spirit. He knows that his expiration date is coming, and he's not afraid. He's not afraid to die. He's not afraid of his expiration date. Because he's bound by the Spirit and he's living by the Spirit. Several years ago, a a friend of mine that I grew up with sent me a letter after her husband died. She said they'd eaten a big meal and he had gone for a walk and she didn't know he had returned home. So when she rounded the corner to walk into the den, there he was laying face down with a fan on him, and she thought, he's just cooling off because it's a pretty hot summer day. When she called out his name and there was no response, she knew something was not right. She wrote to me, she said she yelled at him, she hit him, she punched him, she did everything she could to wake him up. She started CPR on him, even thinking, everything's going to be fine, he just fainted, he's going to come around. And she writes that then she heard his voice saying, Why are you slowing me down? She said, I knew it was at this point that he had one foot in heaven and one still on this earth, and she was holding him back. Just like the people at Ephesus, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. They're trying to hold him back. Just like the people at Caesarea, hey, don't go to Jerusalem. They're trying to hold him back. But when you're bound by the Spirit, you go where the Spirit leads you. Paul knows his expiration date is soon approaching. And and Paul's not afraid to die. How do I know that? Because he writes, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I'm torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. Scripture reading today, as he's about to die, I'm already being poured out like a drink offering. The time has come for my departure. My expiration date is here. My body is going to expire. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. I've kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the 
crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Paul knows his expiration date is rapidly approaching. Just like yours. Just like mine. Oh, I I know we're not comfortable talking about that. But everything about Acts is about a journey. The gospel was on the move. And everything about Paul is he's on a mission and he's on a journey. And he knows his expiration date's coming. And whether we want to admit it or not, our expiration, we're one day closer today than we were yesterday. That expiration date is coming. We're all on a journey. And we sometimes don't know how to respond because we are so afraid of death. Max Licato writes in his book, Six Hours, One Friday, Death, the bully on the block of life. He catches you in the alley. He taunts you on the playground. He badgers you on the way home saying, You too will die someday. You see him as he escorts the procession of hearse-led cars. He's in the waiting room as you walk out of the double doors of the intensive care unit. He's near as you stare at the pictures of the bloated bellies of the starving in Zimbabwe. He'll be watching your expression as you slow your car past the crunched metal and the blanketed bodies on the highway. Your time is coming, he jabs. Oh, we try to prove him wrong. We jog, we diet, we pump iron, we play golf. We try to escape it knowing all along that... We will only at best postpone it. Everyone has a number, he reminds, and every number will be called. He'll make your stomach tighten. He'll leave you wide-eyed and flat-footed. He'll fence you in with fear. He'll steal the joy of your youth and the peace of your final years. And if he achieves what he sets out to do, he'll make you so afraid of dying that you'll never learn to live. Max says that's why you should never face him alone. We used to sing a song when I was growing up, don't hear it as much anymore. When all my labors and trials are o'er, and I am safe on that beautiful shore, just to be near the dear Lord I adore will through the ages be glory for me. Oh, that will be glory for me. Glory for me. Glory for me. When by His grace I shall look on His face, that will be glory, be glory for me. Listen, folks, Paul's on a journey. But his journey isn't just taking him to Jerusalem. His journey is with God. He's bound in the Spirit. He's bound by the Spirit. His life has been being one with God and being in union with God. And so here we are today on on your journey of life. And we're scared to death of death. So I said at the beginning, your death is not your expiration date. Your journey continues. I like Hebrews 2. We're people of flesh and blood. That's why Jesus became one of us. He died to destroy the devil who had power over death, but He also died to rescue all of us who live each day in fear of dying. Jesus died and conquered death so that we don't have to be afraid of death. So that we can live, which is why He came to give us abundant life, not dead life. And you can have that abundant life if, if you're bound in the Spirit, if you give your life to Jesus. So your journey will continue after you die. 
And, and I'm guessing that you know enough Bible and you've read enough that your journey's going to take you to one of two places. You're either going to go to heaven or you're going to go to hell. And there's a lot of people who think that it's up to God, that we're going to stand before God and we're waiting like, okay, you're going to flip a coin, it's up to you. But you know what? You, you get to determine your eternal destiny. You can make a decision today that will change your eternal destiny. And so even though your body will expire, your journey with God can continue. So we read in Acts 2.38, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And you'll receive the Holy Spirit. And you'll be bound in the Spirit. And you'll walk with the Spirit. And the Spirit will help you live a victorious life. And the Spirit will give you boldness. And the Spirit will give you courage. So that you don't have to be afraid of your expiration date. Let me give you one more illustration I came across. Tim Archer, in his blog of April 2009, writes, Someday, when we're gone, somebody's going to have to stand up and say a few words about our lives. When they stand up to talk about us, will it be an easy task or a hard one? Will they struggle to find something good to say, or will they struggle to choose between all of the uplifting stories told of your life? He writes, I remember when I was a student at Abilene Christian University, Jim Dotson, the preacher at Brookwood Way Church of Christ in Mansfield, Ohio, preached a funeral sermon that became famous. His sermon was videotaped and can still be viewed in the ACU library. Dotson's sermon did not become famous because of its content nor because of the outstanding delivery. Dotson's funeral sermon became famous because he preached his own funeral. Dying of cancer, he videotaped the funeral sermon. He spoke about the Christian's victory over death. It's a remarkable thing to preach your own funeral. That is, it's remarkable to videotape yourself speaking so that everyone hears the exact words that you wanted them to hear. But the fact is, we all do our own funeral sermons by the way we live. No matter what the minister says at the service itself, our lives will leave behind their own testimony for good or for bad. And Tim Archer writes, What does your sermon, what does your life say about you right now? Are you walking in the Spirit? Are you bound by the Spirit? Have you given your life to Jesus? Have you given up all of your rights so that Jesus can live in you and so the Spirit can live in you? Have you given your life to Jesus? It's the only way to live. It's the only way to live a victorious life. And even as Paul's approaching his expiration date of his physical body, he was not afraid of dying. And you can live the same way. You don't have to be afraid of dying. You don't have to be afraid of death. Jesus said, I took care of that for you. So will you give your life to Jesus today? Will you repent of your sins and be baptized so that you can receive forgiveness of sins, the hope of eternal life? so that you can have God's Spirit living in you. If you need to respond to that invitation, please do so as we stand and sing. I am...